I mentioned this morning that I have the, the privilege and the responsibility to talk about God's mercy and his salvation. And uh, it's just, I was just so excited to get here this morning and to be able to say what Micah has to say and now to say what James has to say. Let's pray. I'd just like to use James' uh, words there in verse 21. Father, therefore, help us to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. Amen. Amen. Our verse simply says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. And as we prayed before, we've been in a little journey in the book of James and uh, have come up to this point. Uh, we've looked at the first 17 verses. We saw maybe what you would call the first goal in verses 2 to 4 to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing to actually be those people who, who are full of joy when they meet uh, trials and various difficulties. There are actually uh, records of uh, two people, the, the Hebrews, rejoiced at their spoiling of goods. The people took the, 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 the stuff right out of their houses and they rejoiced that, that they could suffer. And Paul says, I've learned in every situation I am in uh, to rejoice, to be content. So there's people that really did that. We saw a second goal is to endure temptation and receive a crown of life. There's, there's always a goal for the Christian. In between, we saw how short life was. You might be poor, uh, but you can inherit eternity. You might be rich, but if you're saved, you'll fade away, but you'll inherit glory. In uh, our study of the temptations and trials, we saw that uh, each one is, is, is carried away by his own lust. The powerful Greek word, it really, literally means dragged away by his own lust and enticed. And it, it's that birth picture, remember, that we saw. Sin is born, then it lives, and then it brings forth death. That's, that's the, the goal of sin. Uh, verse 16, we call the powerful hinge. Uh, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, because really, verse 17, every good and every perfect gift comes, from, comes down from the Father of lights. There's no changing. There's no shifting shadow with him. There's no way that God is one way one time and one way another. He's, he's totally the same from, from age to age. Uh, verse 18 uh, connects to the, the context in a number of ways. First of all, it's the continuation of the birth picture. Uh, verse 15 and verse 18 are the only places this word is used in the New Testament but they both mean uh, to bring forth or to give birth to. Sin gives birth to death, but God gives birth uh, to us. Our mind conceives and brings forth sin, uh, but God brings forth good and he brings forth spiritual offspring. It's a continuation of the antidote of blaming God for temptation. We, we already saw that every good and every perfect gift, and now James highlights it and says, don't blame God with temptation. He saved you. It was his will, his divine purpose to save your soul. And it also points us uh, to the highest good, which is the salvation of sinners. That, that is the, the pinnacle. It's the, it's the highest good. The highest good of man is in this text because this text tells us that God saves sinners. 
and he brought them forth of his own will. Not only does the passage, the verse, have a connection, but it, it has a force. Uh, verse 18 in and of itself just has this force. You, you say, well, you, you've been talking about how it's connected. Well, it is connected, but standing on its own, it has a powerful force. It's powerful in its completeness because it shows us uh, the author, the action, the means, and the result of God's activity in saving sinners. Those are the, those are the heads of the, the study. Uh, it's powerful in its words also. It, it's very concise. There's only 14 Greek words, but there's notable imagery of the birth imagery and the first fr fruits imagery. And it's just a powerful verse uh, uh, in a, as a whole about the gospel. The commentator uh, Robert Johnson says, the object James had mainly in view led him to draw attention to the readers chiefly to the fruits of piety. What, what, what I should live. Here, it's the roots that are described. So James has been getting at the fruit, but here's the root. You've got to be saved first. You have to be born again. You have to be born by God before you produce fruit. But with marvelous completeness and beauty, and in a form so Pauline that probably most persons who heard the words quoted apart from the context would first look for them in Romans and Ephesians. So he says, this is just one of those terse statements that you would think, well, Paul must have said it because it's all about God's being sovereign in salvation and God coming and, and, and doing things. But no, there it is uh, uh, couched in the first chapter uh, of James. James' primary goal is the fruit of Christian profession. You remember, you remember we, we said you could, you could title James, be a mature Christian now. That's what he's getting at. These people are poor. Uh, they're dispersed. They're in trouble. Uh, but they've got to manifest Christian characteristics right away in order to survive in, in, in the world that they're in. I would submit to you that we have to do that too. How, how can I be a mature Christian right away? What's the path to that? Because this world is looking to, to slow me down and, to, and, and, and take things away. But a healthy root is the requirement for, for good fruit. So the verse before us is concise, beautiful, and complete picture of God saving sinners. And we need God's help uh, to have its power imprinted upon our hearts, just like we saw in Micah today. We, we can leave here, brethren, saying, isn't that amazing what God has done for me? Isn't that amazing that God has determined to, to save sinners? That, that's, that's the goal. That's what we should see. And so we'll look at the author, the action, the instrument, and the means, and the, the purposed results. I am going to read a number of texts, many more than I usually would read, but that is to underscore what the Bible says and to confirm our faith in what the Bible says. That's it. I also do not intend to, to finish verse 18. Uh, it's just too, it's too rich. I believe we'll, le we'll leave out the first fruits part and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with speaking about that some other way at some other time. But first of all, then notice that God is the author. Notice his intention. The New American Standard says in, in the exercise of his will. When we exercise, we, we, we reach forward, we do something, we, we try to do something. Uh, the, the picture is God is active. 
His, his arms moved. His hands moved. His, his will moved uh, to save people. It, it has to do with an, an intention, a desire, a, a decree, or an appointment. And the stronger force of will, decree, or appointment fits this context. Notice Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been handed to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. The, the same idea. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Jesus talks about God's will. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Where do we get spiritual gifts from? Each, but each person has different ones according to the, the gift of the Spirit. You can't say, well, you've got to be like me, and I've got to be like her, or they've got to be... The, no, the Spirit distributes them as he wills. A, a, a translation note, the translation of the, the verse is, is very consistent. Almost each one has, of his own will. Uh, uh, Kenneth West has a, a, a translation, in accordance with his deliberate purpose. And, and that's good too. It was God's deliberate purpose to do this. This is what he, he planned to do. This is what God made sure that it was going to uh, occur. In the exercise of his will, he stretched out, as it were, his hands uh, to save sinners. Uh, the meaning, we might say, shows us uh, a few things. First of all, that God was the source, certainly. But to say in the exercise of his will or his own will also shows us like the forgiveness that we talked about this morning, that there was no compulsion or necessity involved. God didn't have to save man. It's a, it's a terrible thing to say, but, but it's true. But nobody forced God's hand. Nobody came to God and said, you better be merciful to these people. As we saw this morning, it's totally and completely in God's character to show mercy. It's totally and completely in God's character to bring forth people like this. Also, not only was there no compulsion, there was no merit. There was no merit. God didn't see merit in you or I or anybody else and say, well, I, I think this person's trying. Romans 5 and verse 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. The most pitiable situation that you could be in is to be a sinner in, in the light of a holy God. The, the, the most desperate situation that you could be in is to be without Christ in the world. But while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not because of spiritual heritage, not because God foresaw that we would choose, not because of anything else that we have done. It was completely uh, because of God's will. Another passage says it was because of God's good pleasure alone. Jesus tells the disciples and comforts them by saying, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom of heaven. Matthew Poole says, Out of his mere good pleasure as the original cause and not moved to it by any dignity or merit in us. It's all of grace. It's all of mercy. And then here comes a, a, a little pile of passages. 
scriptural support for this. Romans 4.17 says that God gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. How did Abraham and Sarah have a child? It was impossible. Well, it's not with God. How are people saved? It's impossible. Well, it's not with God. Romans 8, 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Do, do, do you see where God's purposes are going? Do you see the eschatological nature? Do you see that he's saving you to the uttermost? Do you, do you see that heaven's included? That's where it's going. Now, people take this four new thing and they say, well, God looked down the corridors of history and when you accepted the Lord, then he chose. That is a lie. History did not plan God. God planned history. His will towards me is not dependent on the day that I said I repent. It was dependent on his spirit who made me repent. Took me out of darkness. I woke up that day and I did not know that by the end of the day I would be rejoicing in the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because somebody had the guts to tell me about the Ten Commandments and that I was in danger of my life. And God said, you're in danger of your soul because you haven't kept one of them. Well, I didn't murder anybody, but I didn't know what Jesus said about murder. God planned history. History did not plan God. His will is not contingent on anything. And some people just make a mockery of it as if, well, now he had to change his mind to do this and change his mind to do that. That is false. Peter sorts that out in Acts chapter 2. He's blaming, he's blaming them for crucifying Christ. Man's responsibility, but then what does he say? By God's definite plan and foreknowledge, it was determined by his predetermined plan and foreknowledge it was determined he didn't look ahead and say oh no now they're crucifying christ no before there was a a speck of the world a speck of the universe he made that plan and he executed that plan in time He says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on man who wills or runs, but on God who, who has mercy. I want my salvation to depend on God, not me. People say, oh, 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 that means God chooses. That means this. You're right. That's what it means. I don't want it dependent on me. I can't make it through a day 100% all the, all the way for the Lord. Would I want my salvation dependent on that? Here's God's actions in Ephesians 2. But God being rich in mercy. Do, 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 you see, do you see why I was so happy to come today? Because I can tell you over and over, passage after passage, God is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. God pardons iniquity. 
Guilty sinners. Because of the great love which he loved us. I could tell you about this love. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. How does that person make a choice? He made us. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Just in case you missed. Raised us up with him. Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The, this ladies meeting that's going to come Wednesday. That's what you're going to learn about. You're going to learn about union with Christ. You were dead with him. You were buried with him. But you're seated in, in heaven for him. You ladies that are believers. You're going to sit with Christ in heaven one day. It's guaranteed. That's not the will of man. It's God's will. By his own will he brought us forth. We should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because he has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and faith in the truth. There's the means. It was he who called you through the gospel that you may gain glory, the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Each of these passages says it's not just saved here. It's a complete package. You're going to be saved and you're going to see glory. You're going to be saved. You're going to sit with Christ. But then here's that word. He, he brought us forth. And it says he. Well, well, who's the he? Well, the he is the father of lights in, in verse 17. The father of lights. Well, well, what did he make? God's the father of every star. He's the father of every planet. He's the father of every galaxy. He's the father of every black hole. He put them there. And he kept them there. Psalm 147 and verse 4 is one of the most amazing texts in the, in the scriptures. He determines the numbers of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Uh, I don't know how many years ago. It seems like it's faded out. But a number of years ago, you could give a gift and name a star after somebody. Well, the second name anyway. Right? He named all the stars. How many? How many? Why do they call the Milky Way the Milky Way? Because it's so thick with stars, it looks like milk. Can you imagine that? I don't even, I can't even figure out these numbers. How many stars are in the Milky Way? One galaxy. A hundred thousand million. I said, I'm not even going to get my calculator out. <laughs> I'll just take their word for it, scientists. But they have a problem. Because they're baffled by it. They're not quite sure. They're sure of all this other garbage that they teach to kids all the time. But they're not quite sure about the universe. They're wicked, unbelieving liars. Who is the father of lights? What did he do? He put every star in its course. He put every planet in its course. And they still can't figure out how many there are, where the universe is going, and what's happening. It's a powerful image of giving birth. He spoke, and there was creation. James says pure religion in, in, in the, in, that, that the father that pleases the father is to visit widows and, and be unstained from the world. He's our father. He's the father of lights, but he's the father of all this offspring. It was a deliberate purpose. Believers, Christians, children of God, the exercise of God's will produces something. 
wasn't just intention. It wasn't just a wish or a desire, but a complete plan of action that produced the desired results. It was not only a corporate plan. James says he brought us forth. He's writing a letter to people that are scattered all over the place. They're Jews and they're Christians. Two strikes they got already. And he's telling them, God brought us forth. God is planning on bringing forth a lot of people. We saw that God works in covenant. God works in history. God works in individuals. We can go back, like we said this morning, and we could look at Rahab, who's called a harlot, and say God saved her in time that day. And she gave testimony and was converted and saved. That's how he does it. He made promises. Innumerable descendants, Christ knew that there are other sheep that would be brought in. It, it, there's numberless stars, but brethren, there's numberless saved also. Oh, you think, oh, a hundred, a hundred million stars, that's a lot. Well, how many people are saved? Revelation 7 verse 9 says it's a, 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 an amount that no one can number. Basically, you could start counting how many people are saved and you would never finish. Nobody can number it. Oh, you say, well, uh, well, what's going on here? There's only about 30 people in this room. Uh, I, I would suggest to you that, that, that God's work, work is much, much bigger. We always have to know that. Small room, 15 people, 10 people. Everybody's got to get across the river. Everybody's got to be saved. Everybody's God's purposes, but those purposes are, are, are gigantic. Look up at the stars, he told Abraham. Look up at the stars tonight. They said, they, they said in a clear night, you can only see several thousand. Maybe with a telescope, you'll see, you'll see some more than that. One time in Wyoming, my son-in-law at that time had night vision goggles that I looked at the at the stars with. I never saw so many stars in my life. You put them on and two seconds later, it was, if, it, it was if they just went poof and they all showed up. I never seen so many stars in my life. When we get to heaven, we'll never see so many Christians, so many believers. Oh, you're here too? Look at, look at all the people that are here. Maybe that's a trivial way of putting it, but do you see it? He's the father of lights, but he's the father of everybody that's been born again. Every person. We saw the timeline. Foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, glorification, eschatological hope. God made us alive, raised us up, seated us in heaven. Peter says, reserved in heaven for you. That's your salvation. A, a, a preacher once said it, it's like going on a plane or going on a trip. You got your ticket and you're saying 11A, I got to get to 11A. And that's what you do, don't you? 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, that's my seat. Peter says there's one waiting for you. If you're, if you're saved, there's one waiting for you. All these actions are the exercise of God's will. And we saw, we saw it last week. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you to... Take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and you purchased, past tense, purchased for God with your blood, 
from every tribe and tongue and people and nations. Uh, Jesus did it already. The ransom is paid. Uh, there's pardon and there's sonship. There's a definite atonement. He purchased them. It's strong. Well, then there's not only a corporate plan, but there's an individual plan be because God brought you forth of his own will. Not everybody, not everybody, but you, you personally. Paul gives us an idea of how we all should think. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I'm foremost. And don't play word games because you and I could put our names right there. I was a blasphemer too. I was a drunk, I was on drugs, I did this and I did that. And the, and the day that God convicted me, I knew it. I'm as bad as anybody else who ever lived. Because that's the work of the spirit in the heart. That's when, that's when it really gets down to, to being convicted about your sin. That you say, I'm the foremost sinner of everybody. And then with the publican, what was his view? Didn't even raise his eyes. It says he beat his breast. This torment, this torment that he had about his sin, he wanted mercy, mercy, mercy more than anything else. And he didn't know how to do it. And he was just like hitting himself. The only other record of that is that they did it at the, when Christ was crucified and everybody knew we just killed an innocent man. But what does he say? God be merciful to me, a sinner. The most beautiful words. This man went down to his house justified. Before I drive the two and a half miles home, if I'm truly penitent, I could be a sinner here and justified there. That's, that's amazing, isn't it? But that's God's salvation. He saved me. He saved you. You had your list of sins. You were the worst sinner. You should be in your own eyes. And I had mine and Paul had his. The imagery of birth is also used in other places. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name. Active belief, but, but sovereign grace. Who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It wasn't like a, a husband and wife saying, well, uh, let's start having a family. Let's start raising a family. It wasn't the will of man. It was God's will. Jesus answered Nicodemus, a, a man confused about the new birth. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And, and Nicodemus says, how can he go back in his mother's womb? Right? It's, it's, it's the gospel of John. Jesus speaks spiritually. People think physically. Spiritual talk, physical, right? The woman at the well. Yeah, give me that water. I don't want, I don't want to come up here anymore. That's not the water he was talking about, is it? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's what we're talking about. A birth by the Spirit that truly brings us, you and I, everybody, into the kingdom. 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us uh, to be born again. Caused us to be born again. I didn't just wake up one day and say, oh, I think I'll, uh, I think I'll be a Christian. There was cause, there was purpose, there was plan to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The hope is always uh, uh, living and alive. Peter, again, for you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable through the living, enduring word of God. That, that's, the, that's the next thing that we're going to come to. These texts all picture the spiritual birth of the believer and the physical birth, the will of man, the efforts of man, man's perishable nature cannot produce and sustain the spiritual life. And then uh, God's instrument or means, the, the commentator Hebert says, there is no substitute for the preaching of the gospel. What is the means? It says by the word of truth. Well, they're, they're simple words, aren't they? The word of truth. It's just, just basic words. There's no special James words there, words that are only used once or twice. No. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, Ephesians 1.13. Colossians 1.5, because of the hope laid up for you, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. That's simply what it is. It's the truth. But they're powerful words. They're, they're words that, that have an effect. There's many definitions uh, for the word of God. We're, we're, we're running out of time. I'm just going to skip to the applications uh, now. Uh, that way we'll have more material for the next time. Every good and every perfect gift comes from God. We're, we're born again out of his good pleasure. God brings forth good as the father of lights. He brings forth his people as the first fruits, the highest display of his goodness and mercy. First of all, first of all, as we saw this morning, this should promote deep humility in our hearts. You remember, you remember Calvin said, if you don't understand God's mercy, true religion won't flourish in your heart. Because not only it brings forth fear, but worship and love and thankfulness, and that is the goal. It should promote deep humility in our hearts. That all should be fuel for praise. I know I just repeated myself. But also to know this should be an aid in all our times of disappointment, temptation, and trial. Well, you know, I've, I've got this sickness, I've got this, I've got that. Well, God brought you forth to be a first fruits of of all creation by his own will. And what does Paul say? Momentary, light affliction works an eternal weight of glory. And the scale just goes like that, doesn't it? Promote humility in our hearts, praise to God, and help in our times of trial. And then I just want to cover this. You, brethren, know that our age desperately needs the true gospel. 
desperately needs the gospel to be spoke to them. Basically, in summary, there's there's two things that that sum it up. I know I could be more complete. You are not that bad, and God is not that strong. That's what people are hearing today. You are not that bad, and God is not that strong. They don't say it out loud. There's many other things, but those are Satan's words. You're not that bad, and God isn't that strong. You're not that bad. You're not that bad, folks. Joel Osteen would say, all the potential that you have is already in you. You just got to let it out. That's a lie. What do you do with sin? He says, he says, I don't have the heart to condemn anybody. He thinks he's wiser than God. He thinks he's more merciful than God. They play word games. You remember the church that I saw? Their pathway to salvation was admit you're not perfect. That's a lie. It doesn't work in human relationships. Oh, did you know you sinned against Marty? Hey, Marty, I'm not perfect. It doesn't work. But that's what they're telling people. What do those people in the church think about themselves? How were you saved? Well, I just admitted I wasn't perfect. Can, can they preach about sin? They, can, can they preach about the Ten Commandments? It's just a, it's just a path to deception. Osteen's one thing is that God sees your heart. He's, he's, he's been in India. He's, he's seen Hindus. He's seen the, how serious they are. Would, would God accept somebody who that's sincere? Well, you just, you just completely eliminated everything that the scripture talks about the heart, didn't you? Don't, you can't preach out of Mark chapter 7 and, and Matthew... What does Jesus say comes out of the heart? The Pharisees are worried. We better scrub. We were down at the market. And Jesus talks about the cesspool of sin that comes out. And, and all he can say is, God looks at your heart. Get yourself going. But the other thing is that, that God isn't strong. And I've seen it in videos, and I've seen it recorded by Justin Peters, that people literally say, God lost control of the earth when the devil took over in the garden. And it's up to us to help God to get it back. And people say that. That is a lie. There's no sovereignty. There's no power. And the other thing is, the other thing is that, that God's treated like a buffet, like a smorgasbord. Oh, I like this about God, but I don't like that. We've talked before about the God of the Old Testament. That's a lie. There's only one God. He's the same from eternity that we can't conceive till eternity that we can't conceive. No sovereignty, no power. I'll take this about God, but not this. And these are all lies that people believe. Maybe, maybe with these guys, their teeth whitening stuff works. But their teaching is condemning people to hell. And, and I honestly, after I look at this, I wish that God would take some of these men and get them off the planet, get rid of them. They twist the scriptures to the destruction of souls. Now, brothers and sisters, you have to know that you're a sinner. You are condemned by God's law. The full power of God's law 
comes against your sin. And the only way to get that is not for God to look in your heart. Or the cesspool, he would say, even on a good day. But where do you have to go? Right here where we're going to go. Remember, remember, remember what happened. Every sin was nailed to the cross. Every sin was paid for because God determined to bring forth first fruits of his own will. Of his own will. Corporately, individually, one night at a coffee house in the middle of nowhere in New York City. And some guy from Virginia was talking about Mount Sinai and God's ten laws. And then I realized, and you should realize, and we all should realize, and never, never put a lie in somebody's mind, a neighbor, a friend, somebody we're witnessing to, it's better to tell them the truth and have them never speak to you than tell them something else. Because you have to sit at the foot of the cross and give an account. If he paid for all your sins, tell him that he could pay for your neighbor's sins. Tell him he could pay for your coworkers. He could pay for your coworker's sins or your friend or anybody else. And I was, we take the Lord's Supper. Let's just rejoice in the salvation that, we, that we've seen today. Rejoice in the fact that God saves sinners. He pardons iniquities, passes by transgressions, and of his own will he brought us forth that we might be of, of first fruits of his creation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, write these words on our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.